Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to Building Breweries, a beer podcast that's all about the founders and owners of your favorite breweries. Michael asks questions about their story, their beers, and what makes them unique. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. Follow Building Breweries on Facebook and check out the blog at www.buildingbreweries.com. I'm happy to be joined now by Chris Bircher of Wolf Hills Brewing Company and and uh, Abingdon, Virginia. Chris, how are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you all started in, what, 2009-ish? Yeah, 2009 August, I think, was our opening day. Awesome. So before we get uh, to uh, Wolf Hills, um, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your background? Uh, with respect to brewing, I was uh, I retired from being an academic professor to be a stay-at-home dad, and I needed a manly hobby to offset raising three daughters by myself, <laughs> basically at home. And uh, the beer was it. Got the Mr. Beer kit, the whole nine yards, just like everybody else. Um, sort of got obsessive about it, got good at it, moved to Abingdon. Um, and a bunch of my neighbors love drinking beer in my garage. And so that encouraged me to make more. Um, and as it goes with many people, the, the next logical step was to start see if I could do this as a business because in small town, rural America, the industry largely ignores this, that this type of area. So we didn't have good beer to drink, so I had to make it and it turns out other people wanted to do that too. I uh, did just want to hit on, on something else real fast. Uh, you said you used to, um, used to be a professor. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the academic tenure track. Nice. What'd you, what'd you, what was your specialty? What'd you teach? Ecology. I was a stream ecologist. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I didn't know if it was going to relate to brewing or something or, or, or I, it does you know, chemistry. It I mean, yeah. Ecology is the science of everything. It's sort yeah. of like the, the, the philosophy, but the biological version subset of philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps with the business and it really helps with the brewery, but it's not like I'm a yeast expert or a chemist, you know, right. Which would be more directly ac- applicable. Okay, nice. Regardless, um, so hey, yeah, what's what's Abingdon like? If I were to go there, to Virginia, about, yeah, so Abingdon was the company town for the coal fields back in the day. Is the first county in West in Virginia is named after Martha Washington, Washington County. Uh, the Martha Washington Inn is here, and the Barter Theater is here. So you have a bunch of historically wealthy families that live here, and it was sort of the oasis in a in the coal fields i mean so it's where the center of culture is and where the shops were and where people came um in a pretty broad geographic region where there's not much close by um 40, people in the county about 8,000 people in the town the city of bristol is also in washington county which is a little bigger johnson city's 45 minutes away maybe that's the closest university roanoke is two hours away of course Asheville is two hours away uh, but it's a a little bit of tourism from the 65 and up crowd for the theater and the hotel. The Virginia Creeper Trail is here, so the new move is sort of to switch that coal-based economy that's no longer here into outdoor recreation. Sort of what resources do we have that we can exploit and share with people, and that's the great outdoors because it is so rural. And and as far as the you know the beer scene goes, thinking back to. Uh, what it was like, you know, before 2009 and, and where it is now. How has that grown? Um, well, you know, one thing that's great about your show is you're from Kentucky, so you can kind of relate to our general demographic. So when I came here, 
there was no, I mean, it was maybe Sierra Nevada. Um, I think it was a little past the, the uh, Saranac black and tan, but maybe Newcastle brown ale and then all the different versions of the, the classic industrial American beers. And then it went through an interesting period where it was really tough for us to start because people, the customers were ready for craft beer, but the retailers and the distributors weren't. And it kind of grew really fast from like 2012 to 2015. And then now we've seen this big shift back to where we don't have the, the same number of craft brands on the shelves and all of them are the top 30 craft breweries. So you've got Ballast Point, Elysian, Stone, Sierra Nevada, but the four or five local brands, including us in a lot of places aren't there anymore. So it's gone through this, like it started to get better and then it started to get worse depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it. So you said that you were a home brewer obviously, and then you decided to take the next step into uh, making your own on a on a little bit more of a I guess professional industrial level. Yeah, commercially. How, commercial, yeah. Um, <laughs> how how did that come about? Who did you did you work with anybody on that? Um, was yeah, it an easy process. Have, it, it was really pretty easy. It's 180 square foot garage basically that we wanted to <laughs> brew in that was zoned commercially, and he literally laughed because he had never seen anybody try to do that before. Uh, but we got a license because we had all the boxes checked and I have at the part time I had three partners. Now I have two partners. Um, and they have both, all three of them had grown up here. They sort of knew what to do as far as getting microbrewery added to the zoning uh, permissions for commercial properties so that we could do that and sort of grease those wheels. But that was all very easy. There wasn't any resistance. There was no sort of religious, um, resistance that I kind of expected. Um, it, it really, that, that part was running it and making beer on a commercial scale was really hard. Obviously we started with a one barrel glorified large homebrew setup. And, um, I was using plastic fermenters and trying to use air conditioning as temperature control. And that was really tough, but it worked as long as it needed to. Um, and the whole idea was to start like that, invest as little money as possible to see if it was viable. And once we got whatever evidence we felt like we needed to get, then we would, think about making an investment and expanding which we did so going thinking about your name and everything right now um uh, but you know kentucky and, and virginia have a, a lot of things in common one being daniel boone and I, and I think that plays a little bit into what wolf hills means right yeah the, the, the legend says um when he was exploring this area for the first time he camped uh, in an area about 200 yards from where we are right now uh, in a place where there were caves and they thought it would be a good place to camp and in the middle of the night all these wolves came out of the caves and basically scared his traveling party away and he called this area Wolf, singular Wolf Hill mm-hmm. and it sort of was the area on the map for a long time that you wanted to avoid because that's where the wolves would get you <laughs> uh, so yeah the, the original name for Abingdon was Wolf Hill and there's a lot of that around here there's several companies named Wolf Hills uh, that aren't breweries Right. And that's the, and we tried to play on that. We're local. We, our beers are named after local events, historical things. Uh, we, yeah, we are where we are. We try to own that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your beers then. What do you, what do you focus on? Um, how, how do you come about, uh, those names, you know, creatively, um, and kind of set yourself apart from other people in the industry? I don't, I don't know that we do. In a lot of ways, we're still in the mode where we're the only people here. We were the second brewery in the region, Depot Street in Jonesboro, Tennessee, across the line was before us by a few years. We were the 19th brewery in Virginia and less than 1500th in the nation. Mm. 
And so there was no, you know, the Wolf Hills thing wasn't about setting us apart. It was just about, we never thought we'd be much bigger than this area and we still aren't really. Sure. Um, so we wanted to serve our community and, 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 you know, we name our beers after cool stories and cool places. Our, our best seller is the White Blaze Honey Cream Ale, which is named after the White Blazes on the Appalachian Trail that runs not too far from here. We've got the Creeper Trail, um, Amber Ale, which is the Creeper Trail is a Rails to Trails project that starts about a couple blocks from our brewery. Martha Washington ESB after the hotel. Um, hmm. fighting, fighting Parsons Pale Ale, which is a great story of this preacher who used to preach with a shotgun propped up against <laughs> the pulpit. Because that's the way they did things back in the day. We've got Troopers Alley IPA, which is an alley that's right next to us, where apparently the four breweries were pre-prohibition and the brothels and everything else in town. So that's that's what we know. Yeah, that's what we do. What 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 size is your brewery? Like how many how many uh, barrels are you working on? Working we on? went from one barrel to buying a seven barrel brewery out of Idaho that was closing. We got the entire thing, and it's one of those old pub systems that were made for the hop. Um, sort of the Applebee's of brew pubs, three Gordon <laughs> beers, um, brew pub chain. So we've got one of those, and we think it's probably it's at fourth hand, uh, most of it. And then we've added on, we've probably got 2,000 barrels of um, capacity for the seven barrel brew house with some sevens and some 30s and 15. But we don't we don't realize that capacity. Right. Uh, do you, are you bottling, canning, or anything yet? We use a mobile canning line. Um, a few times a year, four four times a year. And so, that, you can go on. Sorry. No, we we have two brands in cans, and we're distributed from Knoxville to maybe Roanoke, uh, a couple hours either way. And that's yeah, seems to be what we can sell. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, yeah. You hit my next question about distribution. Do you what what's what's the issue with that? I've always wondered with a with a any operation really of just going out into new markets and trying to introduce introduce um, what makes your community special into another person's community. Yeah, that's really translating our tasting room experience across the boards has been really difficult. And it's somewhere in the last year or two, we made a very conscious decision to stop trying to play that game. Mm-hmm. I, I've done, I've done the math and the money that you have to spend to get and maintain retail groceries tap or, uh, can space is so costly that it cuts into your small distributor margins even further. And so, you know, for me, it's not worth spending a dollar to make a dollar and a penny. Mm-hmm. You know, we're more functioning on the let's spend a dollar to make maybe a dollar fifty or, or whatever, some higher margin. So I think the distribution game with all the competition nowadays, you know, getting further and further away, you got more and more breweries that you're competing with, um, is just a, it's a zero sum game until you reach some threshold. And I used to think it was 3,000, maybe 5,000, but I think it's even bigger than that nowadays. And so the the money that it would cost me to pay a sales force to maintain those taps, it's just too high to, 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 to risk not, not making those sales Mm -hmm. to justify the, so we're really lucky that we were first. We've got a, a lot of goodwill in the community. People know our brand. They like it. They want it. They know us. So we can maintain a minimal level of distribution where we don't have to do any of that. Um, it's just a matter of retailers telling the distributor that they want it and us getting it to the distributor and them getting it there. And we work around that. We're, we're comfortable with those numbers. We've downscaled the business to meet that mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than trying to 
continually spins for growth. You know, it's 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 been a while since I last spoke with a uh, with a Virginia brewery or really anybody in the area. Are there any recent regulatory changes in the laws that kind of you know either help or hinder you guys? No, the biggest thing for us was it's really funny that we started. Sorry, I've got that call waiting beat. Um, we started out wanting to just be distribution. And our ABC agent actually said, you guys ought to sell growlers. You're going to make a lot more money. Hmm. And we didn't had never really considered that because our market was so young. We didn't know if they were ready for growlers. So we started off trying to be distribution, realized growlers was the way to go, and then tried to sort of balance those two um, streams. And then in 2012, the Virginia Brewers Guild got together and made it possible for us to sell pints and have a tasting room, which totally shifted our our business model into a tasting room model, which you actually can support yourselves. And, you know, we probably would have gone out of business if that hadn't happened. And so the public house became the central focus and the rest sort of just became uh, gravy on that. But, you know, if anything, we suffer from some antiquated three tier laws where we are required to use a distributor like everybody knows. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but once you sign with a distributor, you're signed for life. And as far as I understand, it's very costly to get out of those relationships. So we have what we have. And, uh, you know, on one, you could look at it, we're stuck with it, or we're really lucky to have that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm always really kind of curious about the mentality of somebody that's about to open a brewery, because generally, with, with any new business, it's it's such a such a risk and, and cost of both time and money. You know, if, if it wasn't going to work out for you, and, and you know, maybe you realize that in the in the first year, you just thought that it might not work. What was your plan B? Like, what would you be doing right now if you weren't working at the brewery? Would you be back, would you be back at a <laughs> college? You know, probably. I mean, if I was lucky, although, you know, what I did is really weird. I committed academic suicide. You don't quit a tenure track job because <laughs> that you're done. You're well, yeah, and, and, black, and that, that, was my, that was my point. Like, that's a so pretty, pretty uh, big step for you to do, to take. So Yeah. Well, in the process of running the brewery, I've had to take other jobs. You know, I worked job but bachelor's level jobs i was lucky enough to get that are still in my field i would have fallen back on that but our our plan was we we each put in five grand three partners put in cash money and i put in sweat equity in my brewing equipment and we said if this works we're going to take you know a, a healthy loan like carrying a mortgage sort of thing and if we can make it work with that amount of money then we're good so really this is all a walk away plan for us okay so we've never gone past the level of risk we're all super risk averse that wouldn't allow us just to drop it and walk so we don't have to deal with that problem now i look at people doing it today and yeah i, I really don't would you op- would you open a brewery today i would I, and i and I, I tell you i would do a you know a boutique tasting room only nano hmm. for the minimal amount of um you know with some serious demographic research to sort of try to hone in on how what I thought I could sell and what I could move and then scale the business to that number. Uh, that, that, that's an interesting thing to say. What exactly is your taproom demographic right now there? Well, you know, with 18 breweries within 45 minutes, we get the people who are, you know, within probably 10 or 15 mm-hmm. because everybody now has some place to go. In 2015, that wasn't the story. People were driving here for 45 minutes to come here, which was really nice period for us. And but it's gone. Those days are over. Uh, so we do probably 300, 400, if we're lucky, barrels in the tasting room, uh, and then maybe about the same in distribution. And again, that's sort of passively without spending money to get either one of those 
revenue streams to work. Uh, and you know, that's, that's at four at a thousand dollars a barrel in the tasting room, there's 400 grand plus mm-hmm. a minuscule amount from distribution. So, you know, a buddy of mine opened a business, um, knowing he could pull in about 125 grand a year, which would pay him a salary. And he was happy with that. And so I thought, you got to be able to make money at half a million dollars a year, at least to pay yourself and break even. So I still think, you know, a, a brew pub, not a, not a food, just a tap room that can do 250 to 300 barrels a year. If your rent isn't astronomic and you don't overspend on startup, you ought to be able to make it work. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so what, what exactly do you like to do outside of beer? I mean, what you know hobbies uh i know uh, you have a family like, yeah i mean that's my priority that's the nice thing about this job is we don't have to work very hard to do what we do um <laughs> we work smarter not harder my focus is family you know so i i have a schedule that's flexible that allows me to spend time with my wife or daughters i play mandolin we like being outside um yeah i mean we're it's it's all about lifestyle you know i hear all these breweries in colorado and the bigger breweries talking about lifestyle and we talk about working 60 hours a week and i'm like that doesn't jive with me yeah (laughs) i I don't i don't want to have to work that hard i'm really lucky to have the best brewer in the world he's he's probably he's got he started brewing in 89 he's one of these unsung heroes of the brewing world Mm -hmm. he actually ran the hops restaurant chain in florida came up to Virginia and worked at a brewery that closed and I was lucky enough to be able to nab him at the right time. And he can do everything that needs to be done in the brewery with his eyes closed. His process is outstanding and I can give him whatever I need to give him and it comes out beautifully. So I'm really lucky to have that. If I didn't have that, I'd probably be working a lot harder, (laughs) (laughs) but because I have him, I can do that. What's, what's uh, assuming you have some beer in your fridge right now, what is it? Well, it's funny. My wife's probably at Peabody's in Boone, uh, North Carolina, right now. So we've been um, we've been experimenting with um, I hate I almost hate to say New England style IPAs yeah. and um, and uh, sour beers because they're the things you know. It's always been about beer I can't get. You know, that's what got me into brewing is I couldn't buy the beer I wanted because I've always lived in rural America where the industry simply doesn't distribute these things. So I read about Pliny, and I got to have Pliny. <laughs> I can't get Pliny. I had to make it. And so it's been that series of things where I'm trying to learn more about the beer styles that I want to make. And in order to do that, you got to drink a whole bunch of them. Research. <laughs> so I think I've got some Black Abbey, um, some Cricket Stave, um, a couple of interesting Belgians from breweries I haven't heard of. That's what's interesting now. There's so many breweries out there. I go to look for what I've heard of and I can't find that, but I see breweries I haven't heard of. And I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm drinking a, a Crooked Stave right now, actually. Excellent. Yeah, Von Pilsner. Um, yeah, so what 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 challenges are you all currently facing at Wolf Hills? The biggest one recently is how do we spend the right amount of money? You know, it's almost like um, a, a, a brew to order. Like I think about it like a kitchen where, you know, you get an order, you make the food. You know, before we were brewing to our goals. Mm. And because of changes unpredictable changes in the market both in the retail tasting room side and distribution it's really so it's 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 a constant sort of battle to make sure i've got the beer that people want but i don't have more than that because that means i would have spent more money on making beer that i didn't need um and that's not really so much a challenge um it's it's fun (laughs) you know uh so doing more with less which has kind of always been our 
our philosophy. But I think, you know, a lot of things happened in the core history of my brewery. I'm, I'm back at sort of the helm now. Um, so I'm sort of making up for lost time, rebuilding relationships. The biggest mistake we've made in brewing is I let the brewers have too much control. Um, <laughs> and they've taken the brewery in directions I didn't really necessarily want it to go. And then you're in this position where I can't get rid of them because they know too much. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be there's challenges and uh, and so that's happened a few times and the solution to that was simply for for me to be here all the time and and take care of my kid. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Now you're you're just guiding into a direction that you feel is best. Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing now and that that's challenging because a lot of these a lot of big bridges have been burned. Uh, maybe not to any dramatic extent, but mm-hmm. um, we uh, yeah trying to make sure people know who we are. When before we were the only people around, so everybody knew who we were. Now it's like you got to remind people. I feel sorry for like Sam at Dogfish Head, who's now considered old and passe <laughs> by the millennials, where he's you know was making the most ridiculous, aggressive, extreme beer there was ten years ago. So they've got to you know. So to a much lower extent, we've got to deal with being the old guys <laughs> <laughs> and remind people why we're good. I didn't have to do that before. So I was looking on, on your all's website before, and uh, there's a calendar there with a whole bunch of different events kind of going by on a, you know, you can look look at everything going on on a weekly basis, so people can always, you know, check that out. But is there anything going on at the brewery in the next few months that you really want people to know about? I mean, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I only know about the music, follow the music events on a weekly basis. Sure. I know we've got a couple of big events planned for, you know, we're coming back into the season now. We sort of go down to a skeleton crew and a minimal events and a few bands in January, February, March, because nobody comes out for them. Mm-hmm. But I know we've got a, a 49 Winchester, I think, party and a couple other bigger bands uh, coming up. But, yeah, the best way to check know about that is watch the website. And I'm so bad musically. I mean, I still listen to the CDs I bought in the 90s. <laughs> and I'm a musician. I mean, <laughs> I just don't know what's hip. Luckily, one of my partners does, and he's – we're lucky a guy that books our music for us works for us on the side is in probably one of the most successful local bands annabelle's curse so he's got his finger on that pulse and i trust him too all right chris i appreciate your time today uh it's been fun Absolutely. learning more about it i i really hope to visit sometime soon great i'd love to have you thanks for letting me be a part of your show yeah absolutely take care Do you want your brewery featured? Email michael at buildingbreweries.com.